Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 10, if you would. John chapter 10, as we continue in our study of John's gospel, we will um, pick up in verse 11 and uh, be talking more about the shepherd and the sheep as we have for the last several weeks, except for last week when we had a kind of a special service for our graduates and, and brought them a challenge uh, from God's Word from Colossians, but today we're back in this passage, and gratefully so. If you recall, Jesus has come into the synagogue. He's come in on the Feast of the Tabernacles when they're celebrating God's provision in the, uh, in the wilderness. And all that we've seen, him healing the blind man, the man blind since birth, and everything that's taken place around that has been centered in that particular proximity. And as I see John 10, he's still there because they're still grumbling about how he made this blind man see, and he's still grumbling about how can someone like him really be from God. I got to be honest with you, this week I had something of, I don't know that I'd use the word epiphany, but I had something of a interesting encounter uh, privately in my car as I was driving down uh, Old Monticello Road. I was coming back from the the college. I'd been down there for a meeting, and I was driving on the the new section of the the road there. And and I'm driving along, and I come upon someone on a tricycle, one of those big bicycles with two back wheels. and, And on the back of it, I he had the sign, Jesus saves. Now, now my first thought was, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not proud of this, understand what I'm about to tell you, but I think it fits, I think it's important for seeing the context of Jesus there in the synagogue. My, my first thought was, wow, another nut come to Somerset. And I don't hear voices from God, okay? I really don't. But it was almost immediately that my thought went to John chapter 9 and 10, and I thought, I wonder if that's how they looked at Jesus when he came there for the Feast of the Tabernacles. I don't know this man. I don't know what his theology is. I don't know what he really believes. But I know one thing. The back of his bike was truth. And I was looking at him as though he were from some other planet. And to be honest with you, it brought a bit of conviction to my heart, to my spirit. I, I began to confess, Lord, forgive me for prejudging this man based on him looking a little different from me. He didn't have on a bow tie. Remember, he didn't have on a shirt, you know, and he's riding a bicycle. And, and my immediate thought was, another nut has come to Somerset, and I wonder if those Pharisees, hmm, Where does that put me? I wonder if those Pharisees, when they saw Jesus coming into town with his disciples, talking about salvation, talking about being the bread of life, talking about being the light of the world, talking about being the shepherd, talking about being the door of the sheep pen, I wonder how many of those Pharisees looked at him and said, oh man, another nut has come to Jerusalem. Well, that's really what they're saying here. If you look at the end of the passage I'm going to look at this morning, I'm doing this a little different than normal, but look at 19 through 21, the end of that section. It says, and a division occurred among the Jews because of these words, what we're going to look at in a minute. And many of them were saying, he has a demon and he is insane, that he's a nut. 
That's what they're saying. Why do you listen to him? Others are saying, these are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind. Can he? I mean, put yourself in those shoes in his day. And I'm afraid that a lot of times we come across looking more like the Pharisees than we do about the people who heard the word of Christ. I think we come across sometimes with people that are different from us saying, oh, well, they must have a demon. They must be insane. They must be a nut. We've not seen anybody open the eyes of the blind. That was the pure sign of the Messiah. We understand that. That's how, they, that's how the Scripture says you would know the Messiah has come because he will give sight to those who cannot see, not, not sight to those who just kind of got vision blurred, but sight to those like this one who is blind since birth. I just felt myself driving in my car needing to pray. Say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for judging people, prejudging people by the way they look. I mean, I, I don't know if I would get out and ride a bike with Jesus saves on it or not, but maybe I should. Maybe you should. Just saying. Well, that has nothing to do with my sermon today. But I thought it needed to be said. Look at verse 11. Really look at verse 10. We looked at verse 10 two weeks ago with that section, but I want to kind of tie it into this one. Jesus says, The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is the hired hand, but not the shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. He's repeating that again from the earlier passage. I, I, I know them, and they know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down in my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. And then the verses I read about the division arising and them saying he has a demon, no doubt a demon because he can give sight, etc., which we'll come to later. But I want you to see again the teaching that Jesus gives us about him being the good shepherd in this passage. The last verse that we looked at two weeks ago, verse 10, where he says, you know, the thief comes to steal and to kill, but, but I've come that they may have life and may have it abundantly. I want you to see something that we didn't touch on there. I want you to see that Jesus is making a very, a, a very profound and a very important statement in that. 
Now, our day and time wants to read it. He came to give life and give it abundantly, and that means health and wealth and everything you want, and all you got to do is just claim it and name it and claim it, and it's all yours. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is I have come to give life that has real meaning, has real depth. I've come to be a shepherd to my sheep. I've come to watch over you whom God has given to me, and I will give you life that has meaning beyond anything you've ever been able to imagine. I I didn't come, Jesus says, just to to sort of give you an example. I, I didn't come just to give you a new morality and make you very moral people who are still wallowing in your sin. I, I didn't come just to be an example of holiness and self-denial or to f- be a founder of new ceremonies and a new religion that will just be like all the other religions. Many people have asserted all of those things about Jesus, and in this statement, Jesus demolishes every single one of them. He said, I didn't come to give you a new morality. I didn't come to give you a a, a new uh, example. I came to give you life and to give you life that goes deeper and more meaningful than anything you've ever been able to imagine before. I came to be your shepherd. In Psalm 28, playing off of Psalm 23 that that, uh, Todd read just a little bit ago, the psalmist says, listen, he will be a shepherd. He will send a shepherd. He will be a shepherd. He will care for his people. He will watch over his people. And that psalm is such a comforting psalm. And Jesus wants us to understand here that he is coming to give us comfort. But in this passage, he goes beyond that. And as the title of the sermon says, he implies Calvary. He doesn't come right out and say, I'm I'm about to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to be tried, and I'm going to die on a cross. But he's implying that, and he's implying beyond that. He's even implying the resurrection, Calvary and the resurrection in these verses. There's several things, again, I want you to see about him being a good shepherd. He makes it clear that like a good shepherd, like any good shepherd, Christ knows all his believers, all of his sheep, all of his believing people. He said, I know them. He said earlier, they hear my voice and they know my voice and they follow me. They won't follow anyone that has another voice. They will only follow the voice of the real shepherd. He knows his sheep and his sheep know him. There's a relationship that Jesus is talking about throughout these last passages, these last sections of, of moving toward Calvary. We already, I've already talked about how everything from chapter 9 really on, Jesus is living under the shadow of the cross. He's looking to the cross. He's moving toward the cross very profoundly and very purposefully. And, and he says, I want you to know there will be a relationship between me and my sheep. I will know them. I will know them intimately. And they will know me intimately also. Second thing he makes clear is the shepherd cares for his sheep. Christ cares. Cares for all of his believing people, all of his sheep. He he watches over them. He protects them. He said, thieves come and robbers come to destroy and to kill. But I won't let that happen. I will guard my sheep from those who would seek to destroy them. Again, that doesn't mean the shepherd is going to keep every discomfort out of our life. It doesn't mean there won't be times in our life where we struggle and we, 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 we wrestle with various things and we even have doubts in our life, but it does mean that in the midst of all that, we have a shepherd who not only knows us, we have a shepherd 
who understands us and cares for us and watches over us with a caring, loving, purposeful heart. But that we've already looked at. What he's really saying here in the implication of Calvary is he's saying, listen, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, he kind of departs from the true imagery here of the shepherd and the sheep. I mean, shepherds will risk their lives for the sheep, no doubt. But if a shepherd just voluntarily says, well, I'm going to die as the wolf comes upon me, I'm going to give my life right now and just die, then the sheep have had it. The sheep are done for in the true sense of the shepherd and the sheep, the flock uh, illustration there. But Jesus says, I'm not one who just merely risked my life, but I'm one who will lay it down. He says in verse 17, I lay down my life so that I may take it up. And, and verse 18, he says, no one is taking it from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. That is my own will, my own purpose, and I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again because the Father's told me to do that. I have the commandment from the Father to do that. The shepherd doesn't merely just risk his life. The shepherd says, I give my life for the sheep. I lay it down looking to the cross. He's looking for, to the purpose for which he came into the world, not for morality, not for a new religion, not just to give us some great pious teachings, but he came into this world for the purpose of Calvary. These verses make clear that when he lays down his life, he does it voluntarily. You know, Pilate thinks he condemned him. Herod thinks he condemned him. The, the, in all of that, they thought, wow, we're putting an end to this man. As a matter of fact, we've talked about it at Easter. You know, when, when, when Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished. Everybody thought, yes, it's finished. It's over. We've done away with him. But that's not what he was saying. He was saying, I'm laying down my life here. I'm laying down my life as, a, as an atonement. I'm laying down my life voluntarily, and I have the authority to raise it back up. You see, we look at that and we realize that Jesus knew even before he got there, he was God after all. He knew that even though he was going to die, even though he was going to pay the price, even though he was going to be the sacrifice and the substitute, he knew the resurrection was coming three days later. Now, some people look at that and say, well, there wasn't much of a sacrifice then if he knew he was going to come back to life. Oh, contraire. Listen, when he hung there on the cross, it was not just dying a physical death. That was the easy part. The, the, on the cross, he did more than just die as you and I will die. He died there receiving from himself the wrath of God for all the sins of his people. He bore those sins. He who knew no sin became sin so that we who know no righteousness might become the very righteousness of God. Paul says to the Corinthian Christians, he knew the pain would be great, but he went there voluntarily. The plain truth is our Lord submitted to death of his own will because he knew that death was the only way to make atonement for man's sins, to make atonement for his people's sins. So, so the cross was not accidental. The cross was not a failure of God's plan, but, it, it, but the cross is precisely what qualifies Jesus to be the good shepherd. And, and as presupposed in John, excuse me, in Hebrews 13, 20, where, which acknowledges Jesus to be the great sheep, uh, shepherd of the sheep. I mean, it qualifies him 
as the good, great, perfect shepherd. He uses the words, I lay down my life for the sheep. The word there, for, is, a, is an important word because it, it, it suggests sacrifice. It, it's always used in that phrase, uh, for the sheep, for whatever, is talking about in a sacrificial context. Whether it's the death of Jesus or the death of Peter in, in John 13 that Peter talks about, or, or a man prepared to die for his friend that Jesus talks about in, in John 15, 13. There is always the picture, always the idea of sacrifice taking place. So in this case, the death that he's talking about, the laying down his life he's talking about, does not merely point to a death of exemplary significance. He's talking about a death that is seen as on behalf of those he's calling sheep. Those whom he said the Father will give to him and the Father has given to him. And that he loves with an unbelievably powerful love that no one will ever be able to take them away. You know... He talks about thieves and robbers, and he says they're evil. They're obviously wicked. They come to kill. They come to destroy. They have only one thing in mind, and that is to tear down. And, and there, I think Jesus is thinking about a lot of people who just deny anything about Christ. You know, those who just say he is a liar, he's demon-possessed, he's, you know, they're, they're the thieves and the robbers. They'd love to steal the sheep for their own. Then he talks about the hired hand, the, the hireling, King James says, this one just says the hired hand said he doesn't own it. He doesn't own the flock. He doesn't own the sheep. They're not his. He's not a shepherd. He's just a hired hand. And when he sees the wolf coming, when he sees the, sees the wolf coming to try and take those sheep, he fears for his own life and he runs. He's not evil. Thieves. The robbers, they're evil. The, 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 hireling, the hired hand is not wicked. He's not evil. He's simply more committed to his own life and his own comfort and his own well-being more than he is that of those whom he's given oversight to. And there are those in our world who claim to be under shepherds who are represented by that. They're good as long as things are going great, as long as things are easy. But when the pressure comes, when the strain comes, they run. But Jesus says, I want you to understand this. I am the good shepherd. You are my sheep. I will comfort you. I will protect you. I will love you. I will even die for you. That's how much I love you. Not as an example, but as a real and true sacrifice, a real and a true substitution, a real and a true atonement. But what do we take from that? Let's look at it from the sheep's point of view. We look at it here from, from his point of view, from the shepherd. I am the shepherd. I'm doing all this. I'll comfort you. I'll protect you. What does that mean? Well, I think one thing it means is that you and I need not be afraid of what's out there. You know, a lot of times we as Christians act like what's out there is, is greater and stronger than Christ is. 
A lot of times we are in the flock, kind of look outside the bounds of the sheepfold, and we say, oh man, that's danger out there. If I step out there, even to take the gospel, surely I will suffer, surely I will hurt, surely somebody might even take my life. But Jesus said, I want you to understand, I'm watching over you as a shepherd, not just when you're in the sheepfold at night, but when you're out in the pasture. When, when as he says in in, in Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's not me. Jesus said, I want you to know I'm the shepherd of Psalm 23 that watches over you. So there, there are several things, several reasons that we can have to not be afraid as believers. I, I'm going to run through these, so listen carefully. I've got about 10 or 11 of them should continue it next week, but I'm not. So pack a lunch. First, we need to understand because he is our good shepherd. He is our great shepherd. We are his sheep. If we belong to him, that you will not, do, you will not die apart from God's gracious decree. In other words, you will not die unless God says, okay, your time is here. Psalmist talks about that. Your days are numbered you know, make use of the time because the times are limited. And, and, but your hands are numbered by God. Your life is in his hands. I love what James said in James 14, oh, excuse me, 4, 14 and 15. He said, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You know that, don't you? You know what your life is going to be like tomorrow. You're, you're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also will do this or that. James says, listen, understand, your, your life is in the protection of the great shepherd. And nothing will take your life until he is ready to take you home. Nothing will affect you. Nothing will kill you. No wolf, no robber, no thief will ever be able to kill you until the shepherd says it's time for this sheep to depart this life. So we ought not be afraid. We ought not be afraid of the terrorist. We ought not be afraid of the robber. We ought not be afraid of anyone. We ought not be afraid of the one that God is calling us to go and share the gospel with. Oh, they might hurt us. They might say an ugly word to us. Well, that's all right. They won't kill you unless it's your time in the eyes of God. Or Matthew 10, uh, 29 and 30. Jesus says, Are there not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father's knowledge? And the idea there is your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Or Deuteronomy 32, 39. See, see now that I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. I think that's the, the Old Testament way of saying what Jesus says in John 6 and John 10. If you're in me, you're in the Father, and the Father's protecting you, and no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand, and no one can snatch you out of my hand. Your days are numbered by Almighty God, and no way will you die until his appointed time. So live for the glory of God. That's what, that's what the point is. Live for the shepherd. 
Second thing we need to recognize that will keep us from being afraid is that no man can harm us. Not only just take our life, no man can harm us beyond God's gracious will for us. Now that may sound strange. His gracious will is to be harmed. Well, it's harm for his glory. The psalmist said in Psalm 118.6, he said, The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Psalm 56.11 says, In God I put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Or in Romans, Paul says, If God is for us, who is against us? If God is our shepherd, if Christ is our shepherd, no man can harm us unless that harm comes to teach us to reflect more on His glory and reflect His glory more. Third, God promises to protect us, to protect His own, His sheep, from all that is not finally good for them. You know Romans 8, 28, for we know this, that God works all things together for, for good to those who love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. Well, God keeps out of our life what is not for our good. But sometimes, hard times are for our good. Psalm 91, 14 says, Because He has loved me, therefore I will deliver Him. I will set Him securely on high, because He has known my name. That knowledge again. I know Him. He knows my name. He knows me. And I will protect Him. And I will... Watch over him. Fourthly, God promises in his word clearly to give us all we need to obey him, to enjoy him, and to honor him forever. He's promised to to give us everything we need to obey him, enjoy him, and honor him forever in our lives. I mean, Jesus said again in in the Sermon on the Mount, Do not worry then saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? The Gentiles eagerly seek these things. That is, the unbelievers, they go after these things with a vengeance. They go after these things for all they can worth. They worry about, am I going to have enough to eat? Am I going to have enough to drink? Am I going to have something to wear? He said, don't worry about those things, for your heavenly Father knows you need those things. And he's your shepherd. He loves you cares for you, he protects you. And even Paul in Philippians 4.19 says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now here's the problem. A lot of times we think that means God promises just to give us whatever we want. That's not what he's saying. He's saying my God will provide all your needs that you need to obey him, to enjoy him, and to honor him and glorify him for all time and all of eternity, forever. Because he's your shepherd. Fifthly, understand our shepherd is never caught off guard. I love the way the psalmist puts it in Psalm 121.4 when he says, Behold, he who keeps Israel, and read in there Israel, his people. Behold, he who keeps his people will neither slumber nor sleep. In other words, our shepherd doesn't get drowsy even, much less take a nap. Our our, our shepherd doesn't nod off 
when maybe there's danger on the horizon. He's never caught off guard. You know, you're going through some tough times, some of you. Some of you are going through tough times financially. Some of you are going through tough times uh, uh, physically with medical problems. Some of you are going through tough times because you're grieving over the loss of loved ones and other things. I want you to know, not one of those caught God off guard for your life. He cares about you. He watches over you. Sixth, God will be with us. He will help us, and He will uphold us in trouble and in troubled times. It's, it's very clear, the promise. Isaiah 41, Isaiah says, Do not fear, for I am with you. This is God speaking through Isaiah. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. For I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will help you. I love the way Isaiah words that as God speaks through him. He says, you know, don't anxiously look about you. Have you ever been there? I have a daughter that lives in New York City, and when we go to visit her, I'm always kind of doing this, you know. I'm always wondering what's behind that corner and what's around that bend. You know, it's just human nature. I mean, you, you get the picture. But God is saying, listen, don't walk through life anxiously looking about you. Understand that I am with you. I will help you. I will uphold you no matter what trouble comes. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, and I will uphold your right hand. The picture is there is strength and there's security and there's protection in our shepherd. Don't forget that. Don't ever forget that in your daily walk. Quickly, seven. Terrors will come in this life, and, and honestly, some of us will die because of a terror or a terrorist. That's going to happen. And, and terror might come as a heart attack, or terror might come as a stroke, or, or terror might come as cancer, and that is a terror in a person's life, no doubt. But understand this, not a hair on your head will perish if you belong to him. He said again in Luke 21, he said, then he continued by saying to them, nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes, and in various places there will be plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven, yet not a hair on your head will perish. In other words, if we die, and we will save his coming again, imminently, if we die, we don't die. If we die, we move with Him. We move on to Him. We move on to that which has been prepared for us. And that's what He means. He says, not a hair on your head will perish. Now, I realize some of you have already had the hairs on your head that seemingly to perish. That's symbolism. Okay? In other words, He's watching over even the most minute detail. Just think, in heaven, you'll probably have hair again. Eighth, nothing falls on God's own outside of its appointed time or hour. John 7, 30 says, so they were seeking to seize him. You remember this when we were in John 7. 
They were seeking to seize him. They didn't like him, Jesus. But no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. We look at that many times. We say, well, of course, that's Jesus. But I want you to understand the same truth is for you and me. No man will seize you. No man will hurt you. No man will destroy you apart from appointed hour. We could go into Job and talk about Job there, but we don't have time. Ninth, when God Almighty is your helper, no one can harm you beyond what He allows. Hebrews 13, 6 says, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Or Romans 8, 31, what shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who is against us? The truth continues to rise. We need not fear because God Almighty is our God. He is our creator. He is our sustainer. He is our redeemer. And even as the writer of Hebrews says, He is our helper. I also want you to understand, tenthly, sounds like a Puritan sermon, doesn't it? And now, 140thly. God's faithfulness is based on the value of His name. Not upon my and your fickle obedience. He loves you and He watches over you and He cares for you and He protects you not because you're worthy of it, but because His name His name is to be exalted. And he does it for the exaltation and the value of his name in your life and in the lives of those who see you. I love out of 1 Samuel, chapter 12, verse 20 through 22. said, Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. They were sinners as are you and me. They didn't obey perfectly. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord. In other words, don't get get frustrated because of your sin. Take it as a fact you're going to sin. You don't want to. I don't want to. But it it happens because sin still dwells in us. But don't turn aside from following the Lord. Don't become frustrated. Don't become downtrodden. But serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. In other words, you'll chase after idols. Listen at verse 22. For the Lord will not abandon His people on account of His great name because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Because of his name, he won't abandon you. Talk about security of the believer. It's in Christ. It's in the shepherd. It's in his name. It's not in your ability to do something. Or be something. Finally. Don't amen that. The Lord, our protector, our shepherd, 
our good shepherd, our great shepherd, the Lord, is great and awesome. You know what I think about that word, awesome. It only fits here. doesn't fit for a hamburger or a car or a, a vacation. Just for this, Him. The Lord our God, our protector, our shepherd, is great and awesome. I, I love how Nehemiah puts in 4.14, he says, When I saw their fear... I rose and I spoke to the nobles. In other words, they were getting scared about what God had called them to do. And, and, and Nehemiah said, I saw their fear and I rose and I spoke to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people. And this is what I said, do not be afraid of them, Salibut and, and, and all those who came against him, Sanballat rather. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives and for your houses. Not because of who you are and how good you are. Fight for them because the Lord God is great and awesome. And I would say to you, fight for the souls of men today in our world in Somerset, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. He is great. He is awesome. He is a great shepherd. And he's calling you and calling me to obedience And it's an obedience that we will stumble in and struggle with and and mess up at all the time. But his great name is what's at stake. And he will guard his name. And in guarding his name, he will guard you. See, there's 11 reasons. I could have given you 100. Why we ought not be afraid. We ought not fear. Because he is our shepherd. And he lays down his life. He laid down his life for you. And yes, he took it back up in the resurrection to confirm everything he said and everything he did was absolutely true and absolutely from God. It was the confirmation of all of it. But he did it for you. He laid it down for you. He said, I'm the shepherd and the only way I can really redeem the sheep, the only way it can really happen is not just kind of watching over them, but it's dying in their place. Sheep who deserve slaughter, the sheep who deserve destruction, the sheep who deserve the worst you can imagine, hell itself. I lay down my life and I take it up because I can and I will. Nobody takes it from you. And consequently, no one will take you from me, Jesus says. You are mine, and I will protect you all the days of your life and forever. Let's pray. And Father, it is with hearts that lean upon that truth and those truths from your scripture, from your word, that we rest. Father, there may be people here today that don't know you as the shepherd. 
and you're calling them, and, and they're hearing your voice spiritually to follow, to believe, to trust. And Father, I pray you open their eyes to see the Savior. Open their hearts to believe fully in Him. And they will, as Paul says, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Believe in their hearts that God raised you from the dead and confess you with their mouths that you are Lord. They will be saved. Father, I pray this day that by your Holy Spirit, You will glorify yourself in this place and in the lives of those who are already sheep who maybe have become despondent because their obedience has not been what they wish it were. Lord, confirm to them you've not turned them away. You've not given up on them. That for the glory of your name, You will lead them as their shepherd. Work in their hearts what they need to obey by your spirit. Father, we call upon you. We wait upon you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our living Lord. Amen.